This is the Edisto TV podcast, connecting the Blackwater region. Welcome to episode 21 of the Edisto TV podcast. I'm Hugo. And I'm Tom. And this week, uh, we have a lot of stuff going on in the very near future, so we're trying to slip one more episode of the podcast in before we get to election day on Tuesday. So we're going to talk a little bit about some political stuff uh, with Doug Busby and Dr. John Bass. Um, there is uh, the Aiken Soil and Water Conservation District has openings on it that are uh, unfilled and nobody actually has run for those positions. So uh, Aiken County Soil and Water Conservation Commissioner, apparently, I think it is, has asked John Bass to stand as a write-in candidate. So we're going to talk to John a bit about that. And also, as we come up on a year of involvement in the Edisto Concerns and Edisto TV um, engagement with the surface water issue and the Edisto River watershed in general, uh, we thought it would be apropos to have Doug Busby on to talk to us a bit. So we're going to be having a conversation with Doug. And of course, with me, as he is every week, I've got Tom Slyker. And Tom, what's up online this week? Yeah, the biggest thing online this week was this article that you posted. Uh, it was in the New York Times, and it was this guy who... Uh, Basically says if you, uh, he represents big business and a lot of uh, legal battles. And what he says is if you want to uh, support big business and go against environmentalists, the way to do it is to get very personal. Yeah, in, in, in fact, um, I'll just read the first paragraph in that article. It says, if the oil and gas industry wants to prevent its opponents from slowing its efforts to drill in more places, it must be prepared to employ tactics like digging up embarrassing tidbits about environmentalists and liberal celebrities. A veteran Washington political consultant told a room full of industry executives in a speech that was secretly recorded. And the article goes on and talks about this guy and his approach and what's going on. And the reason I thought it was interesting, Tom, was the, the way he talks about it being an endless war and, and, and how it's not enough to just win on the issue. You sort of have to go to personalities and, and personal space made me think that maybe we've seen some of that kind of approach in this surface water withdrawal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The um, the way the Farm Bureau reacted <clears throat> when we first put up our Facebook page and then they started talking about um, environmental, radical extremists, all this kind of stuff, it sounds like you know, this is their mindset. So Yeah, I mean, they, very they, much out of the same playbook. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, somewhere up there they're probably taking lessons on, you know, how to defend yourself against environmentalists or something, and they all kind of look at it the same way, which is go for the jugular. I mean, call, question their character, question whether they really even, you know, love the country. <laughs> well, kind of and, and, I mean, there's too much of that in politics all the way around on all sides. So I will just say that something I've said from the beginning in all of this which is this is not a political issue. It doesn't matter what party you support. It doesn't matter what your personal politics are. Everybody needs water. The water in the surface waters of South Carolina belong to everyone, and we need rules to take care of surface water in South Carolina for everyone's benefit. This should not be political, and frankly, it ticks me off to feel like it's getting dealt with like just another cookie-cutter political issue because that's not what this is. Yeah, it seems, most people, if they just look at it honestly, you know, they, they see that. And I, I, I know there's some people within Farm Bureau that are looking at it honestly and saying, yeah, we have a problem. 
So there's still a handful that are sticking to their guns that, you know, this is, let's just give it more time, more science, you know, defer and delay for another year or two. And, uh, but hopefully those folks will be, you know, if, if Farm Bureau customers, clients, members will call and let Farm Bureau know you're concerned about our rivers, I think it would really help. Okay. Um, moving along, there is another article that we posted about efforts in Georgia, Florida, and Alabama to deal with water issues across state boundaries. There is a private group trying to positively influence a protracted water war uh, with plans for a possible transboundary water management institute. Uh, it's called the Apalachicola Chattahoochee Flint Stakeholders, and they met mostly in secret at Lanier Islands Resort in South Hall, and they voted last Wednesday during a public portion to accept a report by an academic group looking at options for such a transboundary group. Um, brought this up because I think it's interesting to note that it's not just here in South Carolina that we're dealing with this issue, and really as was brought forth in the Water Resources Conference a couple of weeks ago, any real solutions to a lot of these issues are going to involve working not just within our state, but with our neighbors. And it, it, it's obvious that Georgia, Florida, and uh, Alabama are already engaged in that process. Yeah, and I think working with the neighbors is important, but what's interesting and unique about the Edisto is that it's contained completely within our state. It so, is the only major watershed in South Carolina that is completely within South Carolina. Right. So we can't blame it on some other state. Doesn't you know? This is a South Carolina issue. The Edisto absolutely ought to be protected and ought to be clear to people what we need to do about it. We don't have to convince other states to get involved. Yeah, and, and this also ties into, remember we posted and talked about it a couple of weeks ago, they've got the ongoing political races over in those states, and there was a piece out of the Georgia news media um, saying that although this has been a big bone of contention between Georgia, Florida, and Alabama for 20, 30 years now, that really the issue has not gotten much exposure and has not been a real critical factor uh, according to the polling they've done leading up to their election over in those states. Uh, we have the same problem here. You know, we've been talking about this. We know that the people that we've been talking at and to about it are aware of our concerns. But when you look at what's been said in the context of the political races, unless it is people talking to groups where they know it's going to play, it's gotten no mention. And even then, like the piece we played with Vincent Shaheen a few weeks ago, he, he just mentioned it. It's not like he promised us anything. Yeah, it was kind of almost an afterthought. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that the polite term for that in political circles is pandering. And, you know, it's, it's nice of you to acknowledge our concerns, but we want more than acknowledgement. That's right. All right. And with that, um, I do want to talk briefly about something I heard on public radio uh, this past weekend. And it was about Rachel Carson. And if you don't know who Rachel Carson is, she wrote a book that was published in 1962 called Silent Spring. Um, and it was about what our world would be like without the sounds of nature. And it was widely considered a wake-up call to an increasingly technological society. And it was one of the books that helped kind of create the environmental movement back in the 60s. And the, the thing I thought was interesting about Rachel Carson in the conversation I heard about her 
is she was a marine biologist. She she had no interest in being an activist or a political person, but she started working on environmental contaminants in her own work and became aware of the issues that ended up being the topic of Silent Spring and, and came to the realization that if she was going to live with herself, she really had to speak out and say what she knew and, 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 and make a call for action on something that she saw as a growing problem. And Tom, I know that when we were talking about this, you went online and found a quote that really encapsulates that beautifully. Would you talk about that? Yeah. <clears throat> well, this was particularly, this quote was more about, um, you know, I think relating back to the the conversation about Farm Bureau and basically, uh, you know, and, and this other article that you linked to where basically in defense of business, they'll go after and attack the individual environmentalists. And um, in this particular case, that's what they were doing. And um, she said that I, I knew by writing honestly about chemical contamination, I was plunging myself into a sort of war with the chemical industry. But I never imagined the full force of the industry's fury. Hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent attempting to discredit not only my book, but the hysterical woman who wrote it. Fortunately, the attack seemed to have backfired, creating more publicity than my publishers could have ever afforded. But the controversy has been exhausting. And I hear that, and in the back of my mind, I hear the echo of radical environmental extremist. I, I mean, again, th this whole idea that, you, you know, somehow because we are engaging on this issue, that, that there should be a personal element to it. I, I just, I reject that wholeheartedly, and I think that history shows that that's not the way to get things done that are going to benefit everyone. Agreed. All right. And with that on, in mind, you know, the, this whole idea of, of Rachel Carson 50 years ago dealing with exactly this, the, this idea of, of do I want to even get into the activism thing, it's been right at a year since we first started talking about uh, issues about the Surface Water Withdrawal Act fueled by the initial registration for an ag withdrawal on the South Fork by our friends at Walther Farms. Um, and so for this week's episode, we have Doug Busby back, and I sat down and talked with Doug a bit about the uh, surface water conference that we went to a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we talked about where we started and where we've gotten to, and we talked a bit about the way forward. So let's, uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll jump into that conversation with Doug Busby. Hey, this is Tom from the podcast. It's football season, and Tyler Brothers has Carhartt Collegiate Gear for Carolina Clemson and Georgia Bulldog fans. We also have beautiful game day brand boots at $100 off their list price. Visit the store in Wagner or check them out online at tylerbrothers.net. Tyler Brothers, the place to go when you want to stay away from those superstars. Doug, let's just jump right in. And first of all, you were with us when we went to the uh, Water Resources Conference over in Columbia uh, a few weeks ago now. And I know that you had a chance to engage in a conversation with a number of the people who we've been talking to uh, over the course of our involvement in these surface water withdrawal issues. Uh, what did you take away from the conference? What made an impression? Just how did it look from your point of view? I'm going to tell you, the conference was very enlightening, and my hat's off to Clemson for for hosting it, and and it was very insightful. And uh, every every politician that makes uh, any kind of water policy, I really feel they need to attend it. And uh, it will really, really wake some people up. 
But I'm going to tell you one thing pertaining to the Edisto that, that I had a man walk, walk up to me and says, um, my name is Dr. Chappelle, and uh, we were dealing with a room full of scientists, so, but I did not know him. And he was from the USGS, and he says, I want to tell you something about the Edisto. And he says, the Edisto is a unique geological feature as to any in the world. And I said, how is that, Dr. Chappelle? He says, it's like a giant sponge uh, that the water in the sponge soaks down. And if you can picture a ditch running through the sponge, it wells up from the sponge up into the ditch, welling up from underneath it. And uh, it was very insightful and very, and, and he is the leading man on hydrological features and stuff with the USGS, come to find out later. And actually, if I can jump in there, yes, one of the things Dr. Chappelle was talking about that I thought was very interesting was that normally with, we've talked a lot about the methylmercury pollution issue in the Edisto as, as sort of an adjunct to water quality issues. And one of the things Dr. Chappelle was saying that was very interesting was a normal, quote, river system, when it rains, it makes the methylmercury diffuse out into the soil. But he was saying that because of, like you were saying, the Edisto watershed working like a sponge, when it rains here, what happens is the methylmercury actually floats up out of the soil into the waterway. And that's one of the reasons why we have as much residual methylmercury in the Edisto as we do. He went so far as to say that if we, if we were to find a uh, Indian and a piece of hair off an Indian that had been eating uh, shellfish or fish out of the Edisto River, that they would be would test positive for methylmercury. He he really believes that it, it has existed for thousands of years. So it is very possible that he said the welling up of, and pushing the methylmercury up through the organic uh, matter that, that actually produces methylmercury. And the wells up from the bottom of uh, underneath the river up up into the ri river flowing. He also, one of the most important features he said was that the Edisto River is 90 to 100 percent of pure groundwater. It It is any given time it will be groundwater. Where, where Hugo, you were saying most of the rivers run like a pipe from the mountains to the ocean. The, the Edisto River doesn't do that. It, it it flows up from the ground, and this is one of the reasons we can drill artesian wells in the Edisto Basin. You can you can drill a 130, 150-foot well and have an artesian well with enough pressure to push it, bubble it up out of the ground. So it's kind of a, a very unusual feature, and he was letting us know just what it was. Yeah, another thing, actually, that I learned that we didn't talk about in last week's podcast um, that came out of the Surface Water Conference was apparently a couple of years ago now, um, USGS did a model of one of the tributaries of the Edisto system and then expanded that model out. And they have modeled the Edisto from the headwaters down to around Givens Ferry. And um, their model compared to real world observation is I think over 85% accurate. And, and to have that kind of a tool already out there um, as we are starting to have the state now start modeling watersheds uh, as part of the ongoing discussion about surface water stuff, gives me some hope that there will be enough information, enough data out there, that in the not-too-distant future, we can uh, start seeing that put to some good use. Exactly, Hugo. They actually did a, um, a model on McTeer Creek, and which is in the headwaters of the uh, South River, I believe. Isn't it? I think it is, yeah. And uh, the... Uh, but they they modeled it, and it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. 
the science is already there. There have been two water plans already proposed and nothing's been acted on. We need, we need some action. And uh, we need some action on safe yield. We need some action on minimum flows. And we need some real safe yield uh, calculations. I agree with that. Um, it, it also, I think, is, is very interesting, some of the stuff that was said on the second day of the conference about the idea that there should be user fees at some point for water to support the kind of infrastructure development to handle runoff, for instance, that is needed statewide, and also to support all of these various studies and so forth that good management seems to require. Um, did you get anything out of that conversation about the idea that, you know, D Dana Beach from Coastal Conservation League had an empty water bottle and he was pointing out that, you know, they spend money on the labeling, on the marketing, on the bottle itself, and the only thing that has any value in all of that is the water in the bottle, and that they get for free. That's exactly right. I thought it was very interesting, and I forget the representative's name that, that actually put uh, uh, brought a bottle of water and a bottle of oil and, and a quart of oil, and, a, and he had a pint bottle of water. And uh, he asked, which is more valuable? And the water is more valuable than oil now. And I thought that kind of put it in perspective. We, we, something that we take for granted right here, is is precious in a lot of places and we we've been blessed to have water uh, i hope that we will we will have a continued steady supply but historically that is not the case and we must prepare we must prepare right now uh, for for the conservation of water and in order in order that that we can all share in its abundance or sharing it sharing its necessity because it is a necessity for life. Okay. Well, Doug, I, one of the reasons I think it's particularly appropriate that you're on the podcast with us this week is it was November a year ago when I heard about these guys in Wagner who were making a fuss about a potato farm and set out to find y'all and find out what was up with the, uh, with the water withdrawal on the South Fork. Um, now that it's been a year that you've been in this thing, hot and heavy, um, how do you feel about how much we've gotten done and how much there is left to do? Well, it's been a year, yes, and it's been a lot of turns and twists. And I really feel that, that awareness has gotten out, but it's not, it's not all the way out. I ran into two, two gentlemen this morning uh, that had had a wreck, and I was working the wreck, and they were from Charleston. And um, I said, and I found out that they were sportsmen, that they shrimped and they fished and they hunted. And I said, hey, have you heard about our struggle on the Edisto? And they said, no, I have not. I said, well, you've not heard anything about the struggle on the Edisto? And they had not. So there's a lot of people that still do not understand what is going on, what is happening with the surface law. If you're out there and you don't, and you don't know your legislator or your senator by name and they know you when, you're, when you drive up in the yard, when they – they should know you, and I challenge you to give them a call, shoot them an email, and that's what I told these two gentlemen this morning. Call, call your senator and call your legislator, and let them know that you are interested and that you are uh, you want to see our, our our rivers and streams protected, and that that it's a necessity that you know them. And I would challenge anyone that, out there that cares about it to do that. Okay, and speaking of engaging in the political process, of course, we were recording this on Sunday, November the 2nd. Uh, Tuesday, day after tomorrow, is Election Day here in South Carolina. Um, we've mentioned before that the 
Edisto TV podcast isn't really in the business of endorsing candidates. But I am curious uh, your opinions of what's forthcoming in this election and how it might impinge on the issues to do with the rivers and surface waters that we are concerned with here. Well, Hugo, I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I don't want to use Edisto Concerns to endorse any political candidate. But I will say who has done what. And um, it's been a year now. And in December, uh, no, late November, December, uh, many letters were written uh, to our governor. And I have not heard not one public statement about uh, the water issue at all. Well, there was the governor's office did put out a statement uh, back in the spring that said that they were aware of it and were looking at it closely. Uh, but publicly, she has not acknowledged anything now. And I, that's all we ask is to just acknowledge that the 400-plus people that showed up on the coldest night of the year. Just acknowledge that we exist. Acknowledge that there there is possibility uh, that we know now there is a problem. There is a problem with the law, that the, the law over-allocates the actual flow of the river by as much as four to eight times as possible. And it is uh, – but I, I just – it would it would any – I would challenge any any political candidate to acknowledge that there that water is a critical issue, and we must address it. We must address it. And speaking of uh, endorsements, uh, Dr. John Bass is is um, a good friend of ours. He has been on the podcast before. We got a lot of respect for Dr. Bass. Dr. Bass is a good man. He understands soil. He understands water. He has actually uh, held the uh, um, the the super, not the superintendent job to the ag commissioner, deputy commissioner is what they call it. He's actually been a deputy commissioner. He is very smart when it comes to this, and he is he has agreed to be be a write-in candidate for the soil and water district of Aiken County. So, and actually, Doug, we did uh, once you told us about this. Get Dr. Bass on the phone. We talked to him a bit. Let's let Dr. Bass explain some of this for us, uh, and we'll go to that piece of tape. And then we'll come back and we'll talk some more. Okay. They're a coordinating type of uh, uh, commission that helps in the technical and sometimes financial and especially the educational programs that you get from the state to meet the needs of, you know, our landowners and residents of Aiken County in relationship to soil conservation and obviously water conservation. They have a scholarship that they give once a year uh, to... Uh, uh, a student, high school student, and they also do uh, programs in the school system like um, like FFA or maybe um, some organization that would want to uh, have information on soil and water. Uh, they run a program, I don't know if it's quarterly or twice a year or maybe once a year that they do this in the school system through uh, trying to work with the Aiken County School District. Um, one of the uh, I, I go to their meeting. Uh, this is a, uh, a non-paid civic type uh, position that uh, just sort of overlooks uh, those type of things. They also have uh, a grain drill, couple of them that farmers in the county can rent and uh, uh, put in their grain. Uh, then they have. Uh, they have some programs that uh, allow farmers to get rain barrels, I believe, uh, and 
they're just there really for assistance and uh, mostly educational uh, work in order to promote soil and water conservation. I think one of the reasons they came to me and asked me would I do a write-in uh, because evidently a couple of the commissioners at the last minute decided they just didn't want to do it anymore. And uh, this was like a week ago that the commissioner uh, that's appointed by the governor here in the county came to me and asked me, would it be okay if they started putting my name out as a write-in? And I said, well, what you... And so and the answer was, that would be fine. And uh, really what I'm interested in is more like their educational programs with the schools and getting into those schools and promoting uh, conservation district. Uh, I think they do essays and some things like that and just through the contacts I have through that aspect. And then uh, obviously about the conservation of land and soil, uh, soil and water, uh, the water especially uh, in relationship to they do uh, have uh, relationships with DNR and with uh, Clemson and some other places through the state. There's a state uh, soil and water conservation, and this is just the county that I'm that I'm dealing with. We wondered if you'd be willing to just speak for a moment uh, as far as where you see us now with regard to the Surface Water Withdrawal Act and uh, the things that we've talked about with you before. Uh, anything you'd like to comment on as far as uh, progress or, or lack of? Well, I think there's been a there's been more progress than a lack of because of the items and the um, information has been sent by actually uh, you and Hugo and then the continuation with uh, Doug of, you know, staying in the front with some of the people about uh, this soil and this uh, surface water conservation law. And then the uh, actually the people that are put in this uh, lawsuit with uh, against DHEC, uh, I don't know where that stands right now, but all of those aspects of trying to push the legislators uh, when they meet in January to actually try to uh, do some stuff with the law is very important. And I think that's a positive direction that I see everything going in. Thank you for that. What What would you say that uh, we could or should do, you know, using this podcast or any other means that we have through the internet? Um, what what message should we be trying to get out to people? I think the message that y'all are doing is great because you're you're giving a cross section of a lot of different ideas and aspects of it. You even you even put out the information that the people that for whatever reason uh, do not look at this uh, safe yield the kind of way that most uh, most people would. Uh, you even put out there. Uh, position. So I think you. I think the people are getting a, a good dose from y'all as to what everyone's thinking, and it's looking like most people are beginning to understand that the safe yield is a very, very important issue uh, because right now DHEC, uh, as they do it, it's all theoretical, and uh, we know the reality doesn't uh, back up the theoretical aspect of it. You're you're referring to the fact that we're over allocating our water resource with the way that we calculate safe yield. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that the safe yield doesn't give you a true picture of the flow uh, during the different times of the year. And if you allow someone to have a certain amount to take out from the surface water, 
and the certain time of the year there's just not enough water there, then uh, you've got a problem. But the way the current law says, uh, you can suck it dry. In other words, there's no uh, there's no stopping it. Dr. Bass, would you talk a little bit about uh, one of the things that, of course, the Farm Bureau folks have been saying is that they want more science and so forth. But one of the things we heard when we were at the South Carolina Water Resources Conference a couple of weeks ago was a number of people, including Dana Beach, for one, was saying that, you know, there's not any secret science out there that's going to change the vast consensus of science that's been arrived at by a bunch of other states and nations. I don't think we need to wait anymore on science. I think what science should do is the monitoring uh, for continuation of improvement of anything that we regulate or put out rules with. But we need to go ahead this right now about the uh, about the consequences of just doing a theoretical safe yield for surface withdrawal. We need to do that now. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, I think that that's everything we need for the podcast today. Okay. Um, I sure appreciate you taking the time. I know Tom and Doug do too. I appreciate y'all putting out there about the write-in, but I'm sure the water, soil, and water conservation commissioners will because they, they, uh, I told them I'd do all I could, call a few people, and I did around the county. And now that y'all are doing this, I appreciate that and appreciate the work that all of y'all are doing as always. So th- there's Dr. Bass explaining about the Soil and Water Conservation District. I also asked him some of the questions I asked you about, you know, where we stand now in the water fight. Um, I know you've got things to do and people to see. We do appreciate you coming on the podcast. Anything else you want to touch on before we move along? I would um, I would challenge anybody, if you get out to vote, um, I'm not endorsing Republican or Democrat or Independent, but be conscientious about what you the person you vote for and let them know you. They need to know you. Don't be afraid to call them. If there's one, anything I've learned in this battle, is don't be afraid to speak up to your legislature or senator or any re- representative that represents, their job is to represent you. And, and I would also say that that includes people who work for the regulatory agencies like DNR and DHEC. Amen. DHEC. Amen. Exactly. DHEC, um, you know, I, uh, I asked DHEC, I says, when are you going to step up? When are you going to step up and tell the lawmakers there's a problem with this law? And they're just just resounding that, that it's the law, and that's all we can do about it. There's nothing else they can do. And uh, But I, I asked them, I said, you're charged with the, with the health and well-being of the people of South Carolina and the environment, and all you can tell me is it's the law? Well, and I will say, though, that Ken Rentier stepped up, and we included this piece of tape in the uh, podcast last week, and said that if you want to see this done, that the way to get it done is through grassroots politics Amen. and grassroots campaigning to get our concerns in front of the people who can make a difference. I think he's absolutely right about that. Amen. And Tuesday, November 4th, polls are open all day. Get out and vote. Vote for what you believe in. Vote for your conscience. And uh, keep in mind that no matter what the party affiliation is, everybody uses water. And uh, this is an issue that needs a positive resolution regardless of who's in power in government. Amen. Amen. So, Tom, you were here when I was talking with Doug, but uh, you didn't jump in uh, now that we've gotten that online and uh, 
put it out there for everyone. Any any thoughts, any comments on the conversation there? Just always good to hear his perspective on things. And, um, you know, it's been a year now. We've all been in this fight and uh, just got to keep keep trying to move the ball forward one one day at a time. And uh, I, I like when he calls it the struggle on the Edisto. He said, yeah. <laughs> you know, have you not heard about our struggle on the Edisto? But, you know, it has been a struggle, and we are on the Edisto, and we are uh, trying to, you know, make some some kind of a change. But it's not about the Edisto. It's about every river in the state. And the Edisto. Absolutely. All right. First and foremost. Well, it's good to be here with you. We appreciate Doug Busby dropping by. It was also good of Dr. John Bass to join us by phone and talk a bit about the Soil and Water Conservation District stuff. Um, would like to urge everybody to get out on Tuesday, November 4th, and vote. Uh, and um, it's been another good week of Edisto TV podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Hugo. And we will see you all next week right here on the Edisto TV podcast. This is the Edisto TV podcast, produced by Edisto TV, connecting the Blackwater region. 